Um, my name is Simon Stokes. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you at some point and get to know something of who you are. Um, and I want to say especially a welcome to you if you're here and you know that you're not a Christian and you're coming and singing these songs with us and you're being with us in this. And uh, if you want to talk more about these sorts of things later, um, if you want to ask me questions about this or pray about any of this stuff or just sincerely just like sit and just want to know some things, uh, I'm happy to, to do that with you. Um, please see me after this and we can talk. Uh, this semester we've been going through the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. And the basic story of Exodus is that God is taking his people from slavery under Pharaoh to service under himself and setting them free. And at this point, as we get to Exodus, there's some things that have happened. I just want to catch us up here. Is that God has performed the greatest jailbreak in history. He set uh, the people of Israel free from slavery. He's brought them out into the wilderness. He's led them to the Red Sea where he parted the waters and they crossed through the waters of the sea on dry land. And as they walked over on the other side, he allows Pharaoh's army to come behind them. And as they come behind them, the waters of the sea close over the army of Pharaoh and end it. They just totally destroy this army. And this crossing of the Red Sea is this final definitive act of salvation. In the Old Testament, then the same way the resurrection of Jesus is for the New Testament. It is God saying, this ultimate enemy of yours is no more. It's done. And so that's where we're at tonight. We're reading the song that the people of Israel sang when God had done all these things for them. So let me read for us. And we'll begin. This is Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast from the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I'll pursue, I'll overtake, I'll divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I'll draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You've led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. To your people, O Lord, pass by. To the people, pass by whom you have purchased. You'll bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you've made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went to the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. 
Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let me pray for us. Father, you have done many, many, many amazing things in history. Lord, you've saved your people by passing through the Red Sea. Lord, you've raised your son from the dead. God, you've taken uh, that knowledge amongst a few haggard Israelites. And Lord, you've sent it across the whole world so that people of all tongues and tribes and nations and races would worship you, would know you, you would be united to one another through you and in you. God, be with us tonight. Bind up the brokenhearted. Raise the dead to life. Heal those who need healing. Give hope and comfort to those who need it. God, rebuke us in our sin. Bind us up in your grace. Be with us tonight in your power and your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. I read a, a book, I guess a couple of years ago now, by a guy named Brian Stevenson. And it was actually, well, one of the things that made me really interested in it was it was about my home state of Alabama. I'm like a sixth generation Alabamian at this point. And uh, it was a different take on Alabama than I grew up with because Brian Stevenson was a lawyer working uh, for uh, death row inmates to get them off of death row, especially when... Uh, it seemed like their court cases had not been fair and not been without bias. And so the book was called Just Mercy. And in it, he talks about this man named Walter who had been accused in his town of this homicide. And the police had really needed someone to just kind of take the fall for this thing. And they pin it on Walter. And he winds up on death row for six years. And Brian Stevenson is visiting him. He's digging deep into the case. He's checking out the witnesses. And he just blows the lid off this thing. And it comes out that Walter had not done the murder. And it's clear to everyone involved. And the feds come in and they, they make Alabama up in the case. And there's this scene in the book where Walter is being let out of prison. And he's got all of his stuff with him. Like all of his clothes, his wallet. I think it was before cell phones, but if he'd had a cell phone, that would have been there too. And he's getting out of prison, and his family and his friends are there, and they're cheering for him, they're clapping, they're singing. The media's there with their cameras and taking pictures and videos. And he, he gets out of prison, he drops his stuff, he starts to flap his arms, and he just starts to sing, I feel like a bird, I feel like a bird. Because he had just gotten off of death row. <laughs> And he'd been redeemed from death. And y'all, that act of redemption, of justice done for people that had no ability to bring justice about in their life, that is something the Bible loves to talk about. That's really something that the book of Exodus is about. That's something that God wants us to know, not just in our bodies, but in our souls. And not just to know it as like a fact that's out there, but as a thing that's in here and that lives in us. Our problem, I think, comes in this way. When we can't see what God has done to redeem us, we often don't feel redeemed. And when that happens, we can't sing about His redemption. We can't be glad about His redemption. We can't connect to one another through it. And so tonight, I really just want to talk about one thing. I want to talk about what it means to see God's redemption so that we can sing God's redemption. 
What does it mean to see God's redemption so that we can sing about God's redemption? So how do we do that? For one, I want to suggest to you that learning to see is actually a really fundamental part of the Christian life. I mean, I don't, like I said, assume that everyone here is a Christian. If you're not, we're glad you're here with us. But if you are a Christian, then learning to see is a fundamentally important part of the Christian life. It's an essential way of living in the world as one of God's people. And that's the way it's always been. In Genesis, God makes Adam and Eve. He brings them in the garden and he says, Behold, see, I've given all this to you. When God saves Noah and his family and the water recedes, he brings him out of his boat and he says, Behold, see, there's a rainbow in the sky that is going to show you how faithful I am that I will never do anything like this again. When God takes Abraham and Sarah who can't have kids and he promises them through your descendants I'm going to bless the whole world. He takes Abraham by the hand and he leads him outside at night. He says, look at the stars. See, your descendants are going to be more than the stars in the sky. Jesus, his first sermon in the book of Luke, he says, I've come to bring sight to the blind. Seeing is this incredibly important thing for God's people. I mean, if you could go back in time and you could ask a devout Israelite back in the day, you know, what's one word that you'd use to describe about how you see God? I guarantee you, they, someone would say to you, I see God as a redeemer. And if you'd asked them, how do you know? They would have sat down with you and told you the Exodus story. That this is what God's like. That this is how God wants us to see him as, as a redeemer. Look, verse 3 here says, The Lord is a man of war. That God is a warrior who does all these things for his people as a warrior. But he's a warrior because of verse 13. That you've led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. That God is a warrior because he's a redeemer. And redeeming just means that you buy something back. Like when you go to the grocery store and use coupons, you're redeeming those coupons, right? But as Israel's redeemer, God is saying, I'm going to bind myself to you like you are my family. Like, you are my flesh and blood, and whatever is your problem, that's my problem. And I'm not going to rest until it's fixed. God's redemption for Israel is political, because they're freed from slavery, from this despot, and they're finally free to be their own people. It's economic, they're not slaves anymore, right? So they're finally free to work and make a living. It's social, because there's this promise of a renewed society where God's law is at work, and people live in peace and righteousness, And it's spiritual. God's people will know God. They will be His people. He will be their God. He will cleanse them from their sin. We need to see that God's promise to redeem means more than just taking care of our spirits and sending us to heaven. That His promise to redeem is for the whole world. Everything. Political, social, economic, spiritual. All of it, you and all your concerns, body and soul, that's what God promises to redeem. Just look at verse 14 here. He's going to deal with Israel's real physical enemies. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. He's going to plant us on his mountain. He's going to establish his sanctuary. The Lord will reign. This song is a paradigm of how to see God's redemption. Because Exodus-shaped redemption is just the way that God gets it done. There's no other way for Him to do it. 
And to live in God's redemption is to be committed to seeing God's commitment to renew all things. And that never changes. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out his disciples and tells them their purpose is to preach the good news and to heal. Because God cares about the world, body, and soul. The God of the Bible is not someone who just wants you to go to heaven and doesn't care about your real physical life now. He cares about your body. He cares about your family. He cares about your job. He cares about your schoolwork. Exodus-shaped redemption and seeing that and living it also means that we have to live an Exodus-shaped mission. That our commitment to living as God's people must demonstrate the same concern that God has for the world. Look, when people look to Christians for help and they don't find it, but then non-Christians help them with the things they need, It discourages those people from thinking that we are the kind of people that have seen a God and live under the care of a God who actually cares about the world and cares about them. That what God is offering to us is not some kind of privatized piety, but He's offering us the whole thing, all of creation. When Christians make spiritual jobs like evangelism or being a missionary or being a pastor, like the highest thing in life... It's not that those people aren't being spiritual. It's they're not being spiritual enough. Look, you don't have to apologize for wanting to be a doctor or a nurse. Or for wanting to be a lawyer or a social worker or a police officer or a business person. That God cares about the whole world. He's redeeming all of it. If He's called you to do those things, then go do them to His glory. And do them in the freedom to know that God is redeeming everything. If that's what He's called you to do, then do it. And be free and go in the freedom of Christ. It's beautiful to get to do that. Look, y'all, I had a professor a few years ago who's, he spent some time in Alabama himself, and he lived in Birmingham while he was a pastor there. He had a woman in his congregation who was a social worker. And so all day, every day, she would work with the poor in Birmingham. And these just kind of intractable problems that on this side of the grave are never getting better. And she said she would come home at the end of these long days and she would go into her apartment and she would look at the Birmingham skyline and see the sun setting in that pink sky and she would say, one day God is going to tear all this down. Maybe not tomorrow, but one day God is going to make all things new. Look, if you want to get involved in how hard the world is and real problems in the real world, then you've got to have a God that's committed to the redemption of all things. You can't have anything less than that. Because otherwise you're just going to try to numb yourself to that stuff, or you're going to try to live in some sort of privatized Christian ghetto. But if you really want to get involved in the world, you need to be able to step into a faith where God is a redeemer and be able to say, you've got to fix this. You've got to make this right. I can't do this myself. I need you to make all things new. And praise God, that's the kind of God we have. That God is committed to redeeming everything. And so He's calling you to see the beauty of His faithfulness and to have a kind of mouth that can speak that faithfulness out into the world. 
that Christ is risen and we are not alone. That there is a stream in the desert and it goes from heaven to earth. That yeah, it's going to be hard, but you're not alone. God is with you. Emmanuel, God with us, is present here with you. And you have one another, God's people, who are cleansed by the blood of the true Passover lamb. By Jesus. Look, y'all, redemption is the freedom to see and to say what is really true about the world. Redemption is God buying you back from sin and all its effects, all its effects on your body and your soul and on your world. We have to learn to see how faithful God is and God's faithfulness to us in all the situations of our life. Look, you've been trained to look at the world in incredibly cynical ways. You've been trained that, you know, all, everything is just one big power struggle. Everything is just one big hypocrisy. It's all one big letdown. You've been trained to speak with a sneer where you can't celebrate anything without making it kind of this half joke. We have to learn how to stand against that. We have to be celebratory people and help each other to celebrate God's faithfulness. That, yeah, there's things we don't like. We're sick about our body, about our mind, about our families. There are things that are disappointing where you had expectations that were about 10 miles high and then the thing happened and it was a letdown. But if you're going to do the Christian life and actually enjoy it, then you have to learn how to see and see God's work in the world. Look, there's no greater sin against the creation than the sin of ingratitude. At the very least, you can wake up each day and say, thank you God for this beautiful world that you've made. As broken as it is, thank you for this place, for the mountains and the coast, for the trees growing on the quad, for these people that I see, thank you. We have to learn how to see. Look, just think about how this song is bookended. In verse 1, Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. But then in verse 20, Miriam and all the women went out after with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, which, by the way, is a clear example of the Bible honoring women. But seeing God's faithfulness is not something that you do alone. We do this together. We say it to one another. We sing it, and we live in it. Not that there isn't a place for sadness or lament or repentance of sin, but all those things are framed the reality that God is redeeming everything. And we need to call out to one another to see God's faithfulness. Look, Christians should throw the best parties. We should just be the best at that. Not the best ragers. I know it's Halloween uh, coming up. Not the best ragers. I'm not talking about debauchery. But the best parties. Where there's good food and good drink and good music and warm hospitality. Because that is the sanest way to live in light of God's work in the world. The, the end of time is this party that you're invited to. And so let's go ahead and get a sneak preview of that together. That is such a part of the Christian witness here at UNC. I mean, when you think about the way that Christians speak in the world today, how do they come across? Are they known as a celebratory people? Like, I would love to hear someone who wasn't a Christian say, you know, I think Christians are weird, and I... I but I appreciate the fact that, you know, it seems like they're seeing something that's true and good and beautiful and they're full of this joy that I don't have. I would love to hear somebody say that. I don't feel like I hear that much. 
Like we should be known as a celebratory people because God is redeeming all things. He's committed to making all things new. Look, do you know what makes it hard to see God's redemption? What makes it hard? One thing that I think that makes it really hard is our anxiety. Where these things in our life just kind of balloon and feel like that is the biggest thing going on ever. And it's overwhelming. Like, we tell ourselves, you know, if I get this bad grade in this class, I won't get into grad school. If I don't get into this good grad school, I'll be a failure in life. If I'm a failure in life, I'll live the rest of my life in a cardboard box in a gutter somewhere. And when you say it out loud, it sounds insane. And yet, it's what we tell ourselves. And it feels so true. It just balloons out over everything. It's anxiety. Or we tell ourselves, you know, we turn it around and say, I've got everything and I don't feel like I should be able to complain about anything. Like, I can't feel this way, and yet I do. But the reality is there's no life that doesn't need God's redemption. Everybody needs God to break in in some way. It's okay to feel anxious about stuff at times. But it's so hard to do that in this pressure cooker where there's always one more person to impress and one more thing to do and one more thing to nail. When do you say, I've done enough? When can you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm enough? What takes care of all that churning stuff inside of you and silences those voices? I want to say that stepping into a worship service like this and having us sing and say what is really real about the world, that Jesus Christ has come, that God took on a real body and a real soul and died so that everything about your life would be redeemed and renewed so that all the things that make you anxious and afraid would one day be done away with. And the whole of your life from then on out would be laughter and joy and light and love. Look, God's work in Christ is your definition. It's the final course setting of your life's direction. Jesus Christ, when He came, came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom which means He came to redeem, to save everything, everything good in the cosmos. God saves that in Jesus. And that is injustice and legal reform. That is social, that is economic, that is your jobs, that is your studies, that is you from sin. That is everything about your life. And to look at you and say, I will die for you, you are enough for me. That is what Christ's work in your life is. What will overcome your doubts to come into a thing like this and to see God's mercies in Christ? What will overcome your fears and your anxieties and transform your life? To come into a place like this and to see God's mercies in Christ. We're forgetting that all the time. And what we need to do is to step into something like this and to see Christ has died, Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Jesus Christ is making all things new. God is redeeming all those things. We need to see that and sing that together. And so I want to end with this. I heard a story not long ago uh, of a lady who was super hard, hard driven, very smart. She was a medical doctor who also owned her own practice. And she, she was one of those people that just knew a lot and she could do a lot. But when it came to, like, relationships, she totally struggled. 
Like, she wasn't close to family. She didn't have any close friends. Uh, her office managers or her nurses at her office, she burned through those people all the time. And she would look at this and say, you know, these people around me, they are so ignorant. They don't get me. I am so frustrated with them. I don't understand what's going on here. Until a friend of hers, or more really of an acquaintance, uh, saw her and kind of let her know, like, hey, I just want you to know I've recently been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Which, if you don't know, is this condition where you can't really read social situations, you can't really see emotions or understand emotions in social situations. And her friend kind of like went through the list of how she had figured out that she had Asperger's and this very bright doctor lady like is going through the list with her own life and realizes, oh wait, I think I might have Asperger's. (laughs) And so she goes and she gets diagnosed with it. And the doctor that does the diagnosis says, hey, you're a doctor just want you to know, uh, you may be into this kind of thing, but we're doing these kind of like experimental trials on Asperger's to see if we can kind of maybe cure this thing. And the lady says, sure, sign me up. I'm into that kind of deal. And so she signs up for this thing, and she goes into these offices, and they have these really, really powerful magnets they put on her head in the place where her brain does emotions, and they turn the magnets up to like 11, like all the way, and then some. And it works for like half an hour that she can understand and see emotions. And the way she described it was like, if you've ever seen the wizard of Oz, when Dorothy goes from black and white to technicolor, like same movie, but suddenly everything is bright and beautiful and much more engaging. Like that was her experience with this for like half an hour. And then it goes away. And so the lady keeps coming back and coming back, and coming back, and coming back to have the magnet treatment done. Because she's always remembering what it's like, and then as soon as she leaves, forgetting. And that is us. We can step into a worship service like this and be like, oh yeah, Jesus does love me. Oh yeah, God is redeeming all things. He's going to make everything new, and He's going to do away with all the evil and the injustice in the world. And as soon as we walk out of something like this, it can feel like, I don't know, the world's back in black and white. And I can't see it anymore. And I don't know what to do with that. If that's you, I would say, join a church where you hear the gospel. Join a community group where people tell that to you. Come to this and sing and worship and see the beauty of the God who makes all things new. That's my offer to y'all. That's God's offer to you. That's something to sing about. That's something to live in and love people out of. Because Christ has loved you and is promised to redeem all things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work to redeem us. Lord, to make us new. Lord, help us to remember that work, to be shaped by that work. Lord, to sing about that work. God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart that responds to your work in Christ. Lord, help us to study in that. Help us to work out of that. Help us to do friendships and dating relationships out of that. It's what you freed us to do. Help us to live as free people.
who know you and enjoy you. In your name we pray. Amen.